Here's why 1975 matters. Largo was defending state champion. St. Petersburg was the up-and-comer. If you ever went to a Largo Invitational at Taylor Park, you had newspapers there, you had cheerleaders there. It was amazing. Maybe the first time we beat Largo on their home turf. That was billed to be the great showdown between Brett Hoffman and Mike Ware. Yeah, you brought up some names I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> you went sub-15 for three full miles there. You were pretty legit. You were going to Taylor Park. You were going to South Bend to play Notre Dame, or you were going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. It was the Mecca. Welcome to Episode 3 of All the Miles Mattered. This is Neil Amato. Thank you for coming back along for the run. It's another short one, another easy day, but we're going to talk about some fast times today. Fast times from a long time ago. First, I'm going to tell you the focus of this episode is the 1975 Largo Invitational and then the championship portion of that season. Here's why 1975 matters so much to this story. 1975 was... As mentioned in the previous episode, three years after Frank Shorter had won the Olympic gold medal in the marathon, the running boom was in full effect. There were a lot of guys doing a lot of miles, and that resulted in some really fast times. Shoe technology and clothing and better track surfaces and maybe even better cross-country courses, ones that were designed for speed, have come a long way since the 1970s. But one thing that's interesting is when you compare a population of times, and what I mean by that is, say, the top 20 in a race versus the top 20, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years almost later, in high school running, the runners are not faster today than they were then. Well, there's a, a lot to talk about. And in some cases, the difference is extreme. Someone who has been closely watching high school competitors in track and cross country for years is Bob Brayman. You heard his voice in the previous episode. He's now the coach at Florida State. He ran at Tampa Chamberlain. He also coached at the University of South Florida. Here's his summation of why the times got faster and then why they didn't. So many people were getting good in the mid to late 70s that everybody started up in their game. The guy that really upped the game in the state of Florida, but certainly in the Bay Area, was Brett Hoffman. Brett was this 100-mile-a-week guy, 5 and 10, 5 and 10, 5 and 10, 15 on Saturday and 5 on Sunday. A lot of us, for the experience of doing it, we ran 100-mile weeks in the summer. I only achieved that twice, but it was more of a, you know, let me see what I can do. But everybody was running 80 miles a week. I think the benefit of high mileage, if you don't love it, then you're you're not going to keep doing it. You know what I mean? You have to love to train to train that much. And so eventually that weeds a lot of people out. In the 1980s, there was a bit of a movement in the late 80s and early 90s to train smarter but not harder. So mileage went down. Cross training became a thing. Circuit training became a little bit more of a thing. And the irony was, not the irony, the, <laughs> the result was nationally and certainly in the state, it fell off. It fell off quite a bit. And so people that stuck to their guns, the Haley's and the Ennis's, they continued to be successful. 
And I don't know that they were ever 100-mile-a-week coaches, but... But they were definitely run-every-day coaches. They were definitely that. Right, right. Remember in those intro sound clips, another school was mentioned, St. Petersburg. The Green Devils of St. Pete High were led by a runner who had taken the southeast by storm, breaking nine minutes for two miles on the track as a high school sophomore in the spring of 1975. Brad Hoffman, the runner, everyone wanted to beat in the following cross-country season. Growing up, yeah, I always heard Hoffman. You know, Hoffman this, Hoffman that, and then, of course, the Monte Largo boys and all. Brad Hoffman's coach, Rick Haley, the brother of Brent. Now, Largo runner Mike Ware was able to beat Hoffman several times early in that 1975 cross-country season, in part because of the miles he ran in the summer. If you weren't running a lot in the summer, you weren't going to be successful in the fall. Also, as Brett Hoffman's about to tell you, if you were running a lot in the summer, getting up early to do so, sometimes you got some funny looks, or you got questioned. Well, you know, running was still kind of in its infancy then. I mean, we were still looking at Frank Shorter, who was still an active runner, and the Runner's World magazine, and track and field news magazines. I mean, we dev- I devoured everything like that, that that we could. But the average, you know, person, the idea of going out running, I mean, you just... Like, you're crazy, you know? What are you doing? Especially when it's hot. We uh, went on a family vacation during the summer, and we had a flight out really early in the morning. So I was out running around my neighborhood at like 4.30 in the morning because I had to get in my run. And I got stopped by a police officer. (laughs) He's like, what are you doing? I'm just running. I guess I looked suspicious. And so the stage was set for the Largo Invitational. St. Pete was ready to challenge Largo. Ware and Hoffman were getting all the hype. And oh, by the way, these programs were coached by brothers. First, you'll hear from Ware setting the scene and previewing the one-on-one battle. And then you'll hear more from Bob Brayman, who also ran in that year's Largo Invite at Taylor Park. You know, Brett was an All-American the year before. At that time... I had already defeated him four times head-to-head. And he'd also uh, ran the fastest uh, two-mile course in Florida history, uh, he and I. And it was the last time uh, that was at Crescent Lake. We ran uh, 9.15, 9.16, and those records have never been matched. But then again, there's not an opportunity to do it either. So I guess there's that to say. That was just a dual meet. Largo wanted the closest you could do, 28 to 29. And it was the last time anybody beat Brett at a two-mile distance during the rest of his high school career. Nobody else beat him until he finished second at the uh, oh, one up in Chicago, Prep International. Uh, you had that kind of building up. And then you had uh, the fact that we were rated the number one team going in. St. Petersburg was rated the second best team going in. You know, So you had this big story going on at all levels. Brett and I, there was the team, Largo St. Pete, there was the coaches being brothers, all that, which was leaving up a lot of good uh, newspaper (laughs) rhetoric going on at that time. It was kind of funny how much attention we were getting. That was billed to be the great showdown between Brett Hoffman and Mike Ware. Mike was the Largo stud. Mike and I are same age. And Brett was the young upstart. He had just run 856 as his sophomore year in the high school two mile. You know, we were both independently trying to find ways to beat that guy. In that race, I can remember, it was a Largo invite, biggest race in the Bay Area. 
And I can remember all the publicity in the papers was about the showdown between those two guys. And it wasn't that anybody hated on me. It's just I hadn't earned it. And so I just took a chip on my shoulder and said, you know what? I'm going to find a way to put myself into this race and see what happens. And so they took off super fast. They're way out there. And I was by myself. And another great Florida runner named Herb Wills. Oh, yeah. Tallahassee. Tallahassee Leon. Herb was a sophomore. Brett was a year behind us. And then it was me and Mike. I took the whole mile to two mile to run those guys down and catch them. And I sat behind them, kind of gathering myself because I needed to. And at two and a half, I threw everything, the whole kitchen sink at them. Just all out surge, trying to blow it open, right? And I had the lead and I didn't get a gap because they're both great runners. They got right on my back. The last half mile was so fast because I kept pounding it, pounding it, pounding it. And if you know that course, you go down, you go down, and then out of nowhere, you take a right turn, and there's the finish line like 150 meters away, right? And I didn't know that. And I kept waiting and waiting. I kept going, like, when am I going to make my last surge? And then, boom, Mike Ware took off, and we were done. Mike went 35, Brett went 36, and I went 38. And those are still the three fastest times ever on that course. You know, I mean, it's a flat, fast course. There's a little bit of asphalt you run in different areas but it's a legit three miles brent haley never had a short course in his life right <laughs> there's no way that guy was gonna have a short course right? he's gonna make sure it was accurate and it was run there a million years and it was considered if you went sub 15 for three full miles there you were pretty legit i'm real proud of that race mike ware wins the race 14 minutes 35 seconds brett hoffman is second 14 36 bob brayman third 1438. Remember those finishes, or at least the approximate ones. This again is why 1975 matters. Those three runners all broke 14 minutes 40 seconds on a course that was used for years. The three fastest three mile times ever recorded in the state at the time. Bob Brayman is correct that Mike Ware's time of 1435, Brett Hoffman's 1436, and his 1438 are still the three fastest times on that course. There were some outliers who still put up fast times over the years, including a guy we'll tell you about from the mid-1980s who just tore through the competition, Roger Letchworth. Letchworth was amazing. Yeah, Letchworth was off the wall. From the 1975 Largo Invitational, if you fast forward about 20 years, the winning time for three miles was 15 minutes, 51 seconds. That winning runner was featured in the newspaper earlier in the 1994 season when his coach was quoted as saying he ran a lot in the summer, but a lot in the 90s was 50 miles a week, about half the total of some of those 1970s runners. Fast forward 30 years, now granted it's a 5K on that course by that time, but it's still the same venue, the winning time, in the 5K in the conference meet. An important race was 16 minutes and 38 seconds, two minutes slower than the third place time that day. That's how you know that all the miles mattered. Also that day, Mike Ware mentioned how Largo and St. Pete were rated. St. Petersburg beat Largo that day at the Largo Invitational. The Green Devils went on to win the 4A state title. Mike Ware thought he'd still have a chance at the individual title, Given how he had done against Brett Hoffman throughout the season, it would make sense that he'd be a contender. He was not, in the end, a contender. He finished sixth, 
in the state meet, but it wasn't because he ran poorly at the end of the season. I have researched and kind of looked at it. We ran more competitive races my year than any team in history. We had 17 competitive races. Most don't even do 10 now. That's a lot of races. Yes. So that's also possibly was a contributing factor to uh, the overall fade. I, I would end up with a head injury later on and just before a state, which probably clearly took me out of that race picture there. So Did you say a head injury? Three days before the state. It was Wednesday. We were running uh, practices on the uh, track. We were running 200s. You know, the last one we're coming and uh, going as fast as I can because that's normally what I did at the end of a workout. But a PE class showed up and started going onto the track while we're still doing our workout. And what would proceed to happen is I'd end up crashing into some of these kids, basically. And I fell. I remember popping right back up right away. And then one of the guys goes, Mike, you're bleeding. And found out, I didn't even realize it, is that I hit my head on one of the benches that, uh, you know, for the football team, I hit my head on that and started bleeding profusely. I remember almost uh, puking, <laughs> you know, lost of blood, because I mean, I saw myself in the mirror. It was just my face turned all red. Coach had a towel. My dad came. We took me to the hospital. I had several stitches. And uh, that was, again, only three days prior to state meet. So I actually lost quite a bit of blood, not terribly enough that to become a uh, that kind of emergency, but still uh, trying to function at the level we were trying to function at, probably substantial for that purpose. And though I wore a headband at state meet that year, I got comments or years later that, oh, they thought I was being cocky. Well, the headband was my way to figure out how to hold the bandage without having tape because tape wouldn't work because you'd sweat. The headband held the bandage in place. But I still have the scar. <laughs> the 1975 season ends with St. Pete beating Largo, ending the Packers' run of two consecutive cross-country titles. Brett Hoffman wins the individual title, and the following spring, he wins the two-mile in track. Hoffman held the state two-mile record for close to 50 years. That 1975 4A cross-country meet was also a case of little brother Rick Haley beating bigger brother. Those Haley brothers were competitors as runners, and our next episode will chronicle some of Brent Haley's time as a runner. And that time as a runner is also when he first became a coach. You'll hear that story on the next episode of All the Miles Mattered. If you have a story you'd like to pass on for potential inclusion in an episode, we have a phone number for that to happen. 919-867-1319. Call it, leave a voicemail, and we will consider that voicemail for inclusion in a future episode of the show. A reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe to All the Miles Mattered wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. We are loving the interaction so far. We want to keep that going. Come along for the run. Talk to you on the next episode.